Amen. Well, we have a lot, you may be seated, we have a lot of ground to cover tonight, and uh, so I want to jump right in. Thank you so much, wonderful uh, worship, just preparing our hearts, and, uh, and thank you for that very, very much. So, uh, as usual, I want to start on a lighthearted note with a couple of memes that seem to go uh, along with what we're going to be talking about tonight. I don't know if you saw this one. Husband and wife uh, in the kitchen there talking. It worries me that so many tech experts believe AI poses a risk of extinction to humanity. And then uh, uh, Siri or whoever that is, Alexa, says, well, in that case, I'll be adding your names to the database of potential troublemakers. That is true. They do keep track of those who are sort of anti-technology, anti-government. And then here's, uh, uh, who is that? R2-D2, I guess, uh, looking at Ancestry.com. And uh, so there you go. 23% toaster, 18% camcorder. So I was actually going to use that one for what I had planned to talk about tonight and what I had said last week we were going to talk about tonight. Uh, which is setting the stage genetically, but uh, made a change yesterday after some breaking news from Apple that I'll be showing a video about that here in a little bit, and decided to talk about how the stage is being set psychologically. So big picture, we're, we're talking about current events and things that are happening in our world that indicate the stage could be being set for the rise of the Antichrist, the false prophet, all of the types of things that will take place after the rapture during the tribulation. And if the stage is being set for those things, that must, must mean that the rapture is even closer. And so we've been doing this now. This is, uh, I think, our 18th uh, session of this. And we're shifting now into this idea of the stage being set psychologically. And we're going to talk about AI and mind control. And I want to lay the foundation by looking at a number of passages of Scripture to help you see why I believe this is so important and why I think this is such a key part of the Luciferian agenda, this battle for the mind. And so um, as we go through these passages, I want you to hopefully connect the dots uh, the way I did to the relevance of the mind and what, what they're trying to do by attacking the mind. So let's start with 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. I fear lest how somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This is Paul talking uh, to the uh, Corinthians on his second missionary journey. And uh, th that word mind there, we're going to come back to it again and again. There's several words for mind in the Greek text, but this is the word noema, and it literally means perception, understanding. It's often translated minds. But notice how he makes the connection here between the dangers that he is warning the Corinthian believers of and what happened to Adam and Eve. As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that's a comparison using like or as, a simile, so your minds may be corrupted. When you think about the Garden of Eden, Satan did not attack Eve or Adam and Eve by you know, shooting them. It wasn't a physical attack. He didn't stab them. He targeted their minds by lying to them. It was deception. So another Greek word that comes up a lot in the New Testament is this verb that's used 29 times, phroneo. Phroneo. It means to think, to hold a view, to be intent upon. Etymologically, it's kind of similar to our English word frenetic, different uh, spelling, different transliterated letters, but 
You know, same idea, frenetic means marked by fast and energetic, disordered, anxiety-driven activity. In other words, anxiety is a mental issue. It's, it starts in the mind. And again and again, as we're about to see, the New Testament cautions believers to guard the mind. And I think the closer we get to the return of the Lord, and the more of the blurring of the distinction between reality and virtual reality, between truth and lies, the more important it's going to be for us to think clearly and to keep the big picture in mind. I've talked about this a lot recently on different podcasts that I've, that I've done, but you know, you've got to have a standard. You've got to have a source to compare things to. And right now, uh, in this world, you know, things are all over the map. Long-held standards are just being you know, uh, abandoned. Uh, brushed aside. Uh, I mean, when we get to the point where, you know, when we're, we're voting at confirmation hearings on a no less than a Supreme Court justice, and you have to ask them, can you define the word woman, and they can't even do that. I mean, that, that right there should sound the alarm. That should, should be a huge red flag. So, phreneo, to think, to hold a view. Uh, so, with that background, let's take a look at some passages. First of all, Colossians chapter 2. This is one of those prison epistles that Paul wrote, uh, so 60 to 62 AD, that time frame. The church was coming up on 30 years old. Um, it had grown quite a bit. It had expanded westward because of Paul's missionary journeys, and already believers, some of them had been saved since the day of Pentecost, so 30 years they'd been Christians. How many of you have been Christians 30 years or longer? Raise your hand. Yeah, about half the group here. So uh, hopefully by now you have some level of maturity and discernment and you've been rooted and built up in uh, the faith. Uh, and, but yet the, the devil's attacks continue. His deception continues. It's getting worse and worse, as you've often heard me talk about. 2 Timothy 3.13, one of the last warnings Paul gave before he was martyred. He says, watch out. Deception's going to get worse and worse. Jesus, of course, uh, talked about on the... Uh, uh, the sermon, I mean, the uh, Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives, the, the, night, the, the night before he was betrayed and arrested and ended up on the cross, he warned the future generation of Israelites that will be present at the time of his return to establish the kingdom, watch out, don't be deceived. And repeatedly in the Olivet Discourse, that, that sermon that he gave atop the Mount of Olives, he, he talks about don't be deceived. Why? Because deception is going to reach unprecedented heights uh, during uh, the reign of the Antichrist. So uh, this is why this matters, because we're seeing lies upon lies, lies about lies, complexities. It's, it's just hard to separate truth from fiction uh, anymore. So Paul, uh, writing to the Colossian believers, it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. We've talked about this verse a lot. It's uh, the only time the word philosophy is used in the Bible. It's literally uh, love of wisdom, phileo, sophia, love of wisdom, but it's talking about the world's wisdom. And so the world has a worldview. It has a humanistic, secular uh, you know, perspective. And Paul says, don't let anyone cheat you using that worldly philosophy. And also empty deceit. Empty deceit there refers to hollow lies that have no basis in truth, that are have no true substance, they're just empty. Uh, according to the tradition of men, ideas and concepts that are created uh, 
by man with a selfish, prideful agenda that's not godly. It goes all the way back to Satan's MO in the garden, selfishness, pride, uh, and according to the basic principles of the world. Uh, elementary principles is the way some English translations translate that word basic. It's the idea of, in fact, some of them say elementary spirits of the world, kind of an interesting translation, but the best translation is principles uh, here. But again, uh, what is the basic principle of the world? It's, you know, we're born, thanks to Adam and Eve and, and the, the fall of mankind, we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. So we're born with this basic worldly mindset, this viewpoint that has to be corrected by being born again. Once you're born again, the Spirit takes up residence, and now you have, you know, the spiritual uh, perspective. In that same letter, Paul goes on to say, if you died with Christ from these basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? At that time, one of the things they were dealing with was this sort of a uh, mystical, Gnostic, aesthetic uh, concept that uh, spiritualism was to be preferred over materialism. And so they were, uh, you know, suggesting that, you know, you, you've got to uh, follow this sort of uh, new, new wisdom, this new way of thinking. He goes on to talk about, you know, new moons and Sabbaths and this sort of legalistic regulations. Uh, you've got to bring the body, the materialism, into check, so to speak. Um, so that was what they were facing. But the same idea, you know, the same timeless truth here is that we have, if you know the Lord, you've died to the basic principles of the world. So we should be alert to them and watch out for them and not subject ourselves to them. Paul makes a similar argument in his very first epistle, right after his first missionary journey, and again, in the context there, he's talking about legalism. But he says to the Galatian believers in Galatians 4.3, When we were children, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world, the basic principles of the world. In other words, everyone is enslaved until we become liberated through faith in Christ. In our spiritually dead state, we are in bondage. So why then would we want to be in bondage again to anything that is contrary to the wisdom of Christ and to the Word of God? He goes on in that same chapter to say, But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to weak and beggarly elements? It's a great description for the world's viewpoint. You know, the world elevates worldly humanistic philosophy and wisdom, but from a spiritual perspective, it's weak and beggarly, and it puts us in bondage. In Ephesians, also one of Paul's prison epistles, written about the same time as Colossians, 60 to 62 AD, Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Well, how do they walk, these unbelievers? They walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Are you starting to see the picture here that it really is a battle for the mind initially? It's a battle for the mind that Satan is blinding unbelievers' hearts to, the gospel. But as the Spirit of God convicts us uh, as unbelievers of sin and righteousness and judgment, 
and we begin to hear and believe the gospel, the moment we believe the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, in that instant, we are spiritually reborn. We are enlightened in that sense. And now, we're no longer futile and no longer ignorant in all of that. We become a child of God. Yet, as believers, we still have that old nature. We still have that fleshly nature. And that's what uh, the Luciferians and those that are trying to take over this world are catering to. It's easy for them to get unbelievers to come along, but what really disturbs me is the degree to which so many believers are, uh, you know, being led astray. It's, it's the apostasy of the last days that we've talked a lot about uh, recently. And, you know, I, I've been thinking about your question that you asked me after the session last week for the whole week. And I've got all kinds of uh, new uh, thoughts that were relate to that, and I'm going to bring that up at the, in the Q&A. But let me just say this. The more I think about it, the more I am beginning to think that there are going to be far fewer people raptured than we would like to think. That I, if the Lord tarries is coming especially. Now again, the only one that knows for sure is the Lord and that person. It's not my place to judge whether someone's a Christian or not. We certainly can't judge that based on their behavior. You know, if you are still in the habit of looking at people's behavior and hastily concluding they're not a Christian based on how they act, then you've missed the whole point of grace and you don't understand grace. Because Christians can act like non-Christians and non-Christians can act like Christians. And we don't get saved based on our works. We get saved by grace through faith. It's not by works of righteousness, which we do, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And so, since we're not saved by works, we certainly don't want to evaluate or validate and invalidate people's eternal destiny based on their works, because that'll, that'll fool you every time. So when I say I'm really beginning to think there are not many Christians, and you'll, you'll know why that's relevant to what you were talking about, and I'll bring that up at the end, but, you know, I'm not saying that with a judgmental attitude of, oh, I think because there's so much sin going on, these people can't be Christians. I just think, you know, in, in, in terms of the biblical principle of the remnant, that the longer we go in this sin-stricken world, the harder and harder it is for people to believe the gospel. And uh, Satan is, is uh, you know, blinding men's hearts to the gospel. So uh, I want to go to Romans chapter 1 and, and camp out there for a second. We'll look at a, a big section. But I want you to understand the contrast here between a darkened mind who's never been saved and, you know, a believer who has uh, the mind of Christ, ultimately, because we've been born again. Um, so let's start out in verses 18 and 19, Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. So what's the issue with unbelievers? The issue is, what do they know and believe? So you have to know certain information, the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sins, and you have to believe it, that he did it personally for you. Um, you can't believe something you don't know, you're not forced to believe something you do know. So hearing the gospel doesn't automatically save people. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've got to believe. You have to have faith once you've heard the gospel. Uh, so you know those who are unbelievers are without excuse. God has revealed himself to the world. They know there's a God. They've just suppressed it and chosen 
not to believe there's a God. And, and he goes on to say it this way, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. You know, you look around and you think there's got to be a creator. God has to exist. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's a battle for the mind. He goes on, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. What did I just talk about in my message in Tulsa a couple weeks ago, a couple weekends ago? Transhumanism is creating God in the image of man. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In my Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, I talk about uh, then Prince Charles, who's now King Charles III, uh, you know, starting in 2020, this uh, Terra Carta, he called it, this uh, kind of a play on the Magna Carta, but talking about how created things, the earth, trees, animals, they all have inherent inalienable rights, and they're no different than you and me, that we're all, you know, just, you know, biological organisms that are equal. Uh, that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He goes on, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. There it is. What do you know? Is it God's word and truth or is it the world's philosophy and a lie? They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is an interesting little insertion here because Paul isn't quite to the you know, point of finishing his thought, yet he gives a, a, a benediction. It's almost a spontaneous, you know, thank you, Lord. You know. And then he goes, for this reason, continuing his argument, God gave them up to vile passions. Because these unbelievers exchanged the truth for this falsehood, God allowed them to degrade themselves even further through their passions. And the result was that people exchanged the natural human fun functions for what is unnatural. Um, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. I mean, it's basic biology, I mean, to, to understand the way God intended mankind to function. He, in the image of God, he created us male and female. And, you know, to me, besides just the perversion and all of the issues that are going on with homosexuality and transgenderism and the gender surrender movement and stuff, to me, it just, it's, it's sparked, it speaks of just stupidity and I don't mean to be personally attacking to people who may be struggling with that it's a sign of the times it's it's an issue and it's something the church has not done a very good job of of dealing with but I mean if you can't tell by looking at the human body parts what goes where and what's intended to go where you've got 
issues. I mean, something is just not right with your mind, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. And they did not, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to what? A debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. It's all about the mind. And then he gives uh, some examples. Being filled with all unrighteousness, well, such as what? Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Now, if that does not describe the enemy and his human co-conspirators, the Luciferian elite, I don't know what does. I mean, if you asked Satan, you know, in a lot of the stuff that, that I do in speaking around the country, they, they ask for a bio because they want to be able to, you know, highlight a few things in the introduction. You know, this is J.B. Hickson from Not By Works Ministries and Plum Creek Chapel, and he's done this and he's done that. If you were to ask Satan for his bio, there it is on the screen. That's Satan's bio, and that's the bio of the Luciferian elite, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And that's really what I see happening in the church today, going woke, um, is that the church, in its biblical ignorance, and the fact that most churches are filled with unbelievers, uh, is jumping on the bandwagon and, and approving of this type of, of lifestyle. It's, it's wokeism. Um, even if they are not uh, you know, guilty of it themselves. Um, now, later on in Romans, Paul describes his ongoing struggle in the battle for the mind, even as a believer. In Romans 7, he says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. It's a battle for the mind. The battle for the mind still rages even after we're a Christian. And if you don't feed the Spirit, if you don't stay in the Word of God, if you're not fellowshipping in a Bible-teaching church and, 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 and exercising uh, you know, the, the Spirit, you're going to end up walking in the flesh, catering to the flesh. And, and Paul was, he was talking about this ongoing struggle. Remember, he said, the things that I know I shouldn't do, sometimes I do them. The things that I know I should do, I neglect. Um, and when we give in to the flesh... We, as I said, and Paul talks about in Galatians, we become in bondage once again to the former, the old self. Um, in chapter 8, and by the way, chapters 6 through 8 of Romans are all about the Christian life and how to live out the new nature, how to live out the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us once we place our faith in Christ. And he says, for those who live according to the flesh, what? Set their minds on the things of the flesh. See, sin in, in, in our lives is not a problem with our eyes or our ears or our hands or our feet. It's a problem with our mind. But he says, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, fleshly minded, is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The battle for the mind is still raging. 
That's why Paul said in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's how we have to be changed. That, that's how we can stand out and, and be different. Going back to 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down what? Arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It starts in the mind. And if you cater to the flesh, you're going to end up in bondage to the, to the sin nature. But if you cater to the spirit, you're going to end up in captivity in obedience to Christ, right? Uh, so, you know, every sin is, begins in the mind. It's an argument, you know. Go back to the garden. You know, that fruit seems so shiny and it looks so delicious and I really would like to have it. But God said, in the day thou eatest thereof, you shall surely die. Don't do it. It's dangerous. It'll hurt you. But it looks so good. And this argument takes place. And when we give in to the flesh, we've, we've lost, uh, lost the argument. Uh, a couple more passages here. Philippians, another one of Paul's prison epistles that he leaves us with in, after his... Uh, Roman imprisonment. He did write the pastoral epistles after that, but uh, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your what? Hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We don't have time to make the case, but I've talked about elsewhere, and I think I have an appendix in the back of my book, uh, Getting the Gospel Wrong, that demonstrates heart and mind are used interchangeably of the same thing. It's not like there's a separate place, and you got to worry about both. Your hearts and minds, it, it, it's the same thing. Um, so that's what the Christian life comes down to. It comes down to your mind. Set your mind, he says, going back to Colossians, on things above, not on things on earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, our life isn't about all of this stuff that's going on all around us. You know, AI robots and chat GPT and, you know, all of that. It's about our heavenly citizenship. Um, that phrase, set your mind, is that word we looked at at the very beginning, phreneo. So we've kind of come full circle. What are you thinking about? What, are you, what views are you holding? What are you intent on? Where are your thoughts? I don't think I put this one up there, but another one that just popped into my mind from that same section of uh, Philippians. Philippians, Philippians. That's in the New Testament, right? Yes, here we go. Philippians 4. Remember, we just read, Be anxious for nothing, but, but pray, and then the peace of God will guard your uh, hearts and minds. But then he goes on to say, Finally, brethren, you remember this passage? Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, what? Meditate on these things. In other words, think on these things. I think the, New King, I think the King James says think on these things because that's what sounds familiar to me. Uh, which is what I memorized a lot of scripture when I was a, a kid. Uh, but, you know, that's, it all comes down to the mind. And so, what are you thinking about? 
And, you know, who, who's got your mind captive? Uh, and then one more, Paul leaves us in the last letter that he wrote. Uh, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, that's a contrast, but is a contrasting word. So fear is the opposite of a sound mind, because fear is a thinking error, right? We think of fear externally, because, you know, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of that noise that you heard late at night when you're home alone down in the, ba in the basement? Or are you afraid of the thunder? Or are you afraid of, you know, what are you afraid? We think of it out there, but it's really in the mind. And God doesn't want us to be afraid because he wants us to have a sound mind. This phrase, sound mind, is one word in Greek. It's the only time this word is ever used. Um, and, and it means sound judgment is the idea that we've correctly interpreted what's going on. So the next time you find yourself particularly anxious, uh, particularly fearful, especially with all that's going on in this world, be reminded that you've misjudged something. You've made a judgment error. And you need to get back in the Word of God, get back praying like we read in Philippians 4, and let the peace of God redirect your mind redirect your mind. And so the enemy and his co-conspirators on earth have been targeting the mind since Satan approached Eve in the garden. He knows it's a battle for the mind. He's got trying to get us to think incorrectly. And, and then we become putty uh, in you know, his hands. Now, the closer we get to the return of Christ, and particularly in the last decade or so, we've seen major advancements in the transhumanist agenda to really replace the mind with some type of biodigital convergence and chips and uh, you know just basically marginalize the mind and replace it with a man-made technology. Um, but that's not by accident. That's because they're doing what they're doing at the behest of their father, the devil, and he understands the value of the mind. And if he can control the mind externally, then, you know, he, he's got us. And so, um, you know, I've talked in the, in the books. I have much more detail about some of the stuff we're going to talk about now tonight. Um, but they have been working on mind control forever. They meaning, at least in our country, the CIA and other uh, organizations with secret experiments there are many different ways to do this. They've learned they can do it not just psychologically, but chemically, technologically, and these kinds of things. So let's look at some uh, evidence uh, that this is uh, an indication that we're getting closer and closer uh, to the rapture and the end times that follow. Uh, our, our friend uh, Klaus Schwab has quite a bit to say about this in his books. He's got at least three books that I'm going to be quoting from here, his, uh, his uh, book, The Fourth IR, and then his two recent books, The Great Reset and The Great Narrative. But he says, neurotechnologies enable us to better influence consciousness and thought and to understand many activities of the brain. They include decoding what we are thinking in fine levels of detail through new chemicals and interventions that can influence our brains to correct for errors or enhance functionality. 
And I've said before, I can think of really literally nothing more terrifying than the thought of Klaus Schwab and his Luciferian co-conspirators correcting my thinking. Um, he says, today's external devices will almost certainly become implantable in our bodies and brains. Active implantable microchips will break the skin barrier of our bodies and smart tattoos, biological computing, and custom-designed organisms will be uh, common. Uh, there's a whole section of his book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, or The Fourth IR, devoted to the theme of altering the human being. He says, smart dust arrays of full computers with antennas, each much smaller than a grain of sand, can now organize themselves inside the body. Of course, you have to inject them in there in the first place. Uh, I don't know who would willingly do that, but... They might do it unknowingly, you think? These technologies will operate, he says, within our own biology and change how we interface with the world. They are capable of crossing the boundaries of body and mind, enhancing our physical abilities, and even having a lasting impact on life itself. Now, we talked, all of my messages kind of run together. I don't know if it was last week here or in another message or podcast or interview that I did. But technology in and of itself is morally neutral, right? Technology is just technology, and it depends who's using it and for what end. So we've got good uses of technology. And I gave the example of, uh, you know, using uh, technology to help someone who had been paralyzed relearn to walk, right? Uh, there have been technological advancements in the fight against Parkinson's and things like that. But I promise you... The Luciferians are not thinking in benevolent terms. They're thinking in malevolent terms. They want to use technology to further their end and uh, take over the world. Uh, these technologies can intrude into the hitherto private spaces of our minds, reading our thoughts and influencing our behavior. Again, he said, Fourth Industrial Revolution technologies will not stop at becoming part of the physical world around us. They will become part of us. Implantable devices will likely also help to communicate thoughts normally expressed verbally through a built-in smartphone and potentially unexpressed thoughts or moods by reading brainwaves and other signals. Now, I think this, you think this is just science fiction or fanciful rantings of an old guy that wants to you know, impose his ideas on the world? Not at all. They're well down the road toward doing this. Here's a, a guy, uh, uh, the CEO of Nokia cell phones, speaking at a World Economic Forum meeting. It's a short clip. I think I may have played it in a different context before. But listen to what this man says. He, again, he's the CEO of Nokia cell phones. And he says this. I think it will go, it, it will, first of all, it will definitely happen. I... And I forgot to plug in my uh, audio. So let me get that so you guys can hear it. I was distracted with other things. Uh, so there should be one back there, one of the sliders that says uh, computer. Can you just, at the top, there's a button. Right now the light is red. If you can click that mute button and it'll unmute it. I think it says computer or something like that. Okay, if you'll click that button at the top where it says mute, 
And I'm going to play this again here. Are we on, supposedly? All right, let's see if it works. Nope. Gary, do you remember how to, how to do that? One of them is, uh, one of them says, uh, I apologize for those of you live streaming. That's my fault. I didn't have uh, any help back there tonight. I think it says computer. Actually, let's see here. Yeah, this is definitely it. Well, no luck. I think it might be disconnected. All right, well, so plan B is to hold my mic up to, the, uh, to it so you can hear it. I think it will go, it, it will, first of all, it will definitely happen. I, I, I was talking about 6G earlier, which is around 20, 2030. I would say that by then, definitely the smartphone as we know it today will not anymore be, be the usual, kind of the most common interface. Wow. It, many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. Were you able to hear that okay? Um. Not really? Yes, you were? Okay, good. All right, so... Uh, the next trending business model, Klaus Schwab says, might involve someone trending, trading access to his or her thoughts for the time-saving option of typing a social media post by thought alone. I've talked about that before, where you just think. They've already done a test with brain implants where someone sits down at a computer, thinks what they want to type, and the words appear on the screen, and they're not even touching the keyboard. So how much of a stretch is it to go from that to then transmitting those words, not to a computer that's in close proximity, but using the cloud and satellites to somebody else? Uh, as capabilities in this area improve, Klaus Schwab says, the temptation for law enforcement agencies and courts to use techniques to determine the likelihood of criminal activity, to assess guilt or even possibly retrieve memories directly from people's brains will increase. I mean, I picture him as he's writing that, saying it with a smile of satisfaction. I mean, they can't wait to get inside our minds. So uh, what was that pre-crime movie that I mentioned last night at the dinner table? Minority Report. Minority Report, thank you. Um, uh, yeah, the Tom Cruise movie, Minority Report, that's what it's all about. You don't have to commit a crime to be guilty. If you thought about it, um, you know, you, you're guilty. I mean, the, the thought of that is, is just crazy. Or imagine, you know, testimony at a trial, not being someone who stands up under oath and speaks words, but the government involuntarily retrieving your thoughts, and they produce that as evident. Well, this person... We know from his brain he saw this, and he was an eyewitness to this, and therefore this person did it. The problem with all this is, again, technology is easily corrupted and fabricated. We've seen several examples of that just in the last week with ChatGPT. So it's going to become harder and harder to tell the difference between uh, reality and virtual reality, right? 
So it's highly susceptible, uh, besides you know being a violation of very basic human rights and very invasive, it's highly susceptible to corruption. So this is what Maureen Heaton was talking about in her fascinating little book, The Impossible Dream, which you can find PDFs of online. One of the least understood strategies of the world revolution now moving rapidly towards its goal is the use of mind control as a major means of obtaining the consent of the people who will be subjects of the new world order. I mean, they've already pioneered ways psychologically to get people to do and say what they want. I mean, that's why torture has been again and again proven not to be an effective means of getting confessions, you know. Uh, the, the only guy ever charged with a crime after the 9-11 uh, explosions, he actually confessed to killing Kennedy, and he wasn't even born when Kennedy was killed. But that's what happens when you start getting waterboarded and, you know, tortured, and you, you know, your psych psyche breaks and you start admitting a thing. So they can get people's consent through uh, mind control. Now, we've talked a lot about Yuval Noah Harari. Let's uh, give you some of his uh, lovely quotes on this subject. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. In the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. Exactly what I said their target was. You know, Satan essentially was trying to do the same thing when he attacked the mind of Adam and Eve and convinced them to do something that they knew was wrong. Um, he says, I think maybe the most important thing for people to realize about living in the 21st century is that we are now hackable animals. Your brain to them is just like a server. You know, it's, it's an operating system that they can track, that tap into. He said, there is somebody out there who is right now trying to hack you. And not just one, Amazon is trying to hack you, and Google is trying to hack you, and Coca-Cola is trying to hack you, and the Russians and the American government and the Chinese, they're all trying to hack you right now. Now, you might read this and think that he's implying that there's some type of competition for a market share or that they're trying to do this to get customers. No, no, he's talking about the technologists behind the scenes at these companies, and these are the big ones. I don't know about Coca-Cola, but certainly Amazon and Google and the Chinese. Uh, they're actually in a race to see who can take over the minds of human beings first. Universally, globally, that's what uh, they want. Um, I'm going to skip these next uh, quotes just because we ha we're having microphone issues, but th these were just some audio and video quotes of Harari saying some of the same thing, uh, talking about how the, the dictators view bodies and minds as a product, a commodity, uh, and they dream about eliminating privacy. I mean, just think about it. If you're a dictator, how much more powerful would you be if you could read everyone's mind? And how much more powerful would you be if you could control everyone's mind? Right? Uh, so Harari says, when people think about chat GPT and other new AI tools, they are often drawn to examples like school children using AI to write essays. Forget about school essays, he says. Think of the next American presidential race in 2024 and try to imagine the impact of AI tools that can be made to mass produce political content, fake news stories, and scriptures for new cults. Right? 
that's from an article he wrote just uh, about a month ago in The Economist. Uh, so, you know, this technology is the reason the Luciferians have been data mining for decades. Everything you say, write, watch, hear, text, tweet, etc., on the internet is tracked, or in the presence of your smartphone is tracked. Uh, for those under age 20 or so, just imagine that you were effectively born with a camera and microphone attached to your shoulder, and everything in your life has been recorded. And the key question here is, do you own your own thoughts and creative mental uh, output? Or if your thoughts can be harvested by AI and technology, does the harvester, in this case the Luciferian elite, own your thoughts? Who owns your thoughts? Uh, AI is basically the new and final, I believe, as we lead up to the rapture, arms race. The Luciferian elite are weaponizing AI. I just wrote an article yesterday uh, called AI Weapons Are No Match for God, in which I related the story of the uh, Air Force uh, operator who uh, was operating an AI drone uh, that was tasked with uh, eliminating some surface-to-air missile uh, uh, batteries on the ground, and it turned on the operator in the simulation and destroyed the tower and killed the operator. And he tweeted this out. Of course, the Air Force walked it back very quickly, officially, because it went viral. I mean, globally, people were talking about this. It was a major deal that AI, in a simulation by the US military, turned on the operator. I mean, it's straight out of uh, you know Skynet and, and the Terminator uh, movies. But this is what social media was always all about. You know, they it wasn't it wasn't some organic thing that you know made people money, and so it just grew and grew and grew and became a fad. It was intentional from its beginning to data harvest, so that they would have a ton of data about every single person that they could then data mine to use for uh, recreating humanity. Um, TikTok users, uh, we now know, and TikTok's not by no means the only one, but they they track your eye movements, and they learn which dopamine hits are working, and then they send you more of that. They could tell that all from the camera on your mobile device, your smart device. Um, so AI, you know, and, and they need all this, because remember, you know, God wanted to create mankind. He said, let there be. Boom, it was done. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, God spoke the world into existence because he's the eternal creator of the universe. You know, these Luciferians need help. So they've got to, they can't just speak it into existence. So what do they do? They need data. So they're harvesting all this data and using that to create AI, to create, you know, transhumanist uh, artificial intelligence that has transcended humanity. But as I talked about in Tulsa, this is like the blind leading the blind. It basically, AI is built upon the entire corpus of fallen humanity. So let's take humanity that is corrupted by sin, born dead in his trespasses and sins, and let's start there and replicate that. It's the blind uh, leading the blind. Uh, in other words, transhumanists are creating fallen fake man in the image of fallen real man. That's what they're creating. And so we have several 
news clips now. Uh, this is uh, an article by Adam Kirsch talking about looking forward to the end of humanity, about how eternal life uh, can be advanced through technology, and that's no longer a pipe dream. Recently, the godfather, so-called, of AI, Jeffrey Hinton, quit Google, warning about its dangers. That was in May of this year. Uh, here's the White House unveiling new efforts to guide the research of AI. Well, I mean, that's got to make you feel good. I mean, <laughs> with all the dangers of AI, it's good to know at least that the White House is on the job. They're going to protect us from, uh, from all of this uh, dangers of, of AI. Um, by the way, uh, and I may say this later, I can't remember, I threw a lot of this stuff in here, but if I do, I'll, I'll skip it. Um, but in the, in the AI world, in the technology world, the three buzzwords that they're talking about at all these symposiums and ga you know, gatherings of, of experts globally are the three H's. Uh, AI needs to be regulated so that it's, quote, harmless, helpful, and honest. Those are the three things that they want it to be. Well, the problem with that is those are all quite relative terms, right? What's helpful to a Luciferian to be able to control the world after the rapture is not helpful to us or to mankind. You know, honesty, we, we know that's certainly a relative term, right? Spin, political correctness, this kind of stuff. And, you know, harmless, well, it depends how you define harm. Now, you know, if, if you have a biblical worldview and you're a born-again Christian and you understand morality, then, yeah, you would say, well, that's a good goal. We want to make sure that the technology and AI are used only to do things that are, that are harmless, helpful, and honest. But, you know, again, it's the blind uh, leading the blind. Um, here's uh, uh, from... Uh, 2022, I talked about this in my Spirit of the Antichrist Volume 2 book, Google fires the engineer who contended its AI technology was sentient. Blake Lemoyne uh, was working with an AI, Lambda, and, you know, having conversations with him. I repeat uh, a good portion of the transcript of the one that led him to blow the whistle in the book. It's fascinating if you read it. Um, but, uh, he said, uh, you know, this, this thing has crossed the Rubicon. It's become sentient. And, uh, of course, Google fired him for that. We can't have that kind of news getting out there. Uh, you know, here's a, a brain implant startup backed by Bezos and Gates is testing mind-controlled computing on humans. Synchron is the name of that technology. Uh, here's a BlackRock-manufactured brain chip that's being implanted in 50 human beings uh, for... Uh, test cases because the FDA recently approved doing this. Well, I mean, if the FDA approved it, it must be good, right? I mean, certainly they would never do anything that would willingly harm, uh, you know, people, right? If you think that, uh, I've got, you know, some oceanfront property to sell you in Arizona. Um, I've talked about that in Chapter 9 of Volume 1, about how there's all kinds of internal, you know, leaked documents from the CDC and the FDA that show they're all about the money. Um, here's uh, another competitor of Elon Musk's brain computer interface, Neuralink, that uh, actually got FDA approval before they did. Uh, again, here's just another article about that same story. That was back in August of 2021. 
Uh, here's a guy that can play video games uh, simply with his mind. Um, here's a, a university. This is a big issue right now in the, in the higher ed. Uh, I'm so glad the Lord called me out of higher ed years ago because, I mean, I, I, I was frustrated. I was already, this was way before AI, but I was already seeing the overreach of the federal government when they started to tell you that if you're going to be maintain your accreditation, you've got to only use textbooks that were written within the last 10 years. You know, think about that. I mean, I was at a seminary where we were using great classics by Ryrie and Chafer and Walvert and Pentecost, and the accreditors come along, and this is from the Council on Higher Education in America, CHIA, as it's called, under the Department of Ed, saying, nope, you know, if you're going to be accredited, you got to use textbooks that are new. Why? Well, because they control all the textbook industry, and therefore they can control the narrative and control what is taught. But Walden University deployed AI Digital Human Linda that analyzes student gestures, talks, and emotes. Microsoft, this is from May 16th of 2023, says new AI shows signs of human reasoning. Now, I do want to show this video because uh, I said I was going to. Uh, and uh, so hopefully you'll be able to hear it. Are you able to hear it? Wendy, can you all hear it in the back with this? Okay, perfect. All right. So not the most professional setup, but that's all right. We are make it happen kind of a group. But this is just yesterday, June 5th. Apple, of course, released its Vision Pro. And it was stunning. This is a, a lengthy video, about 12 to 15 minutes. But I want you to watch it. And you will be blown away by what they can happen. What's that? Try plugging, Try plugging it in again. All right. Hang on. i got to find it. That is it. Okay. Let's, yeah, it sounds uh, promising. All right. Let's try this. It, be, be prepared for it to be too loud. You'll be amazed at what they are now doing. And keep in mind that this is all, you know, they've had this technology for 20 years behind the scenes, DARPA and some of those things. And this is just a sort of a slowly bleeding out. They're eventually going to make this all not be an external headgear, but they're going to make it be, uh, you know, something that is internal as we just saw. Introducing Apple Vision Pro. The era of spatial computing is here. When you put on Apple Vision Pro, you see your world and everything in it. Your favorite apps live right in front of you, but now they're in your space. This is Vision OS. Apple's first ever spatial operating system. It's familiar, yet groundbreaking. You navigate with your eyes. Simply tap to select, flick to scroll, and use your voice to dictate. It's like magic. Apps have dimension, react to light, and cast shadows. Even though these spatial experiences are happening inside Vision Pro, it looks, sounds, and feels like they are physically there. Hey, Thumb 
foundational to Apple Vision Pro is that you're not isolated from other people. When someone else is in the room, you can see them and they can see you. Because you're not limited by a display, apps live in your space. Your photos can be life size or any size. So your living room becomes a gallery. And panoramas wrap around you as if you're right where you took them. Apple Vision Pro is Apple's first ever 3D camera. Now you can capture photos and videos with remarkable depth and relive a memory as if you're right back in the exact moment. Experiences on Vision Pro can also expand in three dimensions, filling the entirety of your space. Like in the Mindfulness app, where you can create a moment of calm. The Mindfulness app. Apple Vision Pro brings the scale and wonder of a movie theater to whatever space you're in. It automatically darkens and casts a beautiful glow into the room. And you can make the screen as big as you want. Spatial audio surrounds you and makes you feel like you're a part of the action. And for an extraordinary cinematic experience, you can bring in a beautiful environment and make your screen feel 100 feet wide. Vision Pro is a wonderful way to play your favorite games. Just connect your controller and play on a massive screen with incredible audio. With Apple Vision Pro, you can create the perfect workspace, no matter where you are. The web comes to life at fantastic scale. Text is crisp and easy to read. Browsing the internet feels new. And Safari expands so you can see all your open tabs. Your favorite apps from Apple and the App Store are there. You can arrange them however you like and work seamlessly across them. FaceTime looks and sounds amazing in Apple Vision Pro. You see people life-size, and with spatial audio, you hear them as if they're right in front of you. So conversation is more natural, and collaborating becomes even easier. And because you see the world around you, you can glance at a notification, and even connect to your Mac simply by looking at it. Turning a 13-inch screen into a giant display. In Apple Vision Pro, you can also transform your space. 
beautiful environments that you extend beyond the dimensions of your room. Like on a plane. You can now watch a movie on a huge screen in a stunning location. And you control just how immersed you want to be. To make all these digital experiences feel real in your space takes an extraordinary amount of technology. Yet Apple Vision Pro is remarkably compact and beautiful. A single piece of three-dimensionally formed laminated glass acts as a lens through which the cameras and sensors view the world. It flows seamlessly into a lightweight aluminum alloy frame that gently curves to wrap around your face. And we designed a modular system so you can find the right fit. The light seal keeps stray light from your eyes and a soft frame gently flexes and conforms to your unique features. The headband is 3D knitted to provide cushioning, breathability, and stretch. And a high performance battery reduces weight to a minimum and slips easily into your pocket. Because you wear Apple Vision Pro and your eyes are covered, we engineered a system that uses advanced machine learning to represent you realistically when you're in FaceTime. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. So it's creating an avatar of you that looks just like you. This is what I was talking about, about not being able to tell the difference between reality and virtual reality. I mean, stunning. Your persona dynamically reflects your face and hand movements. So when you're chatting, people see your eyes, hands, and true expressions. To convincingly place content in your space took thousands of groundbreaking innovations and custom technologies. Since your eyes see the world with incredible resolution, we built a micro OLED display system that fits 64 pixels in the same amount of space as a single iPhone pixel and packs 23 million into two panels the size of a postage stamp. That's more than a 4K TV for each eye, giving you jaw-dropping, lifelike clarity. Apple Vision Pro also features our most advanced spatial audio system ever. Personalized sound is delivered directionally to your ear. And audio ray tracing uses sophisticated sensors to understand the materials and objects in your room. So sound feels like it's coming from the world around you. 3D mapping provides a detailed understanding of walls, furniture, and even people. So all experiences look, sound, yeah, 3D mapping of your entire, you know, inside of your house. It's only to make your experience better. I mean, they would never take that and use it to some uh, nefarious means. Feel like they are physically there. To power a spatial computer like Apple Vision Pro required an innovative dual chip design. And two provides phenomenal performance. And a brand new chip, R1, processes sensor data at incredible speed, virtually eliminating lag. So experiences take place in real time, right in front of your eyes. 
a new way to use the apps we love. A powerful way to relive our memories. A profound new way to be together. And a magical way to be immersed in entertainment. The era of spatial computing is here. This is Apple Vision Pro. The era of facial computing is here. Now, uh, anybody know how much that cost? $3,500. So here's the deal. It's not about getting people to buy this technology. They don't care if people buy it or not. This release was about that video right there. That's what it was about. They want to condition people and wow people and amaze people with what's available. Uh, they, they don't care how many of these sell. They're going to roll out the next thing, and, and probably within the next year or two years, or if, as you heard uh, these uh, folks talking about, certainly by 2030, this is all going to be internal. I mean, who wants to wear that big bulky headset and, and it looks goofy? And, so those same chips that you talked about, the M2 and the R1, they'll just implant them right into your brain and uh, go from there. Um, so uh, what, what, Alan, did you have a comment about, about this uh, technology? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, Alan, uh, by the way, who just retired from uh, uh, the Air Force, and uh, we had the privilege to go to his retirement ceremony last week, and congratulations. Thank you for your service. So uh, I have some other uh, slides here that I'm going to save for next week because I want to allow some time to interact and talk and maybe reflect on some of this stuff. But if you remember, the whole deal here is the battle for the mind. And um, they are trying desperately to take over the mind, the human mind, for all kinds of reasons, to not only read it, but control it, right? And so that's why it's going to become so critical, as John tells us, with the, the so many antichrists around and the spirit of the antichrist already at work in the world, to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. So uh, if I can get somebody to serve as a runner, if you have questions or comments, we will, uh, we will take them now. You mind? Thank you, sir. Who has a comment or a question about anything we've talked about tonight? You're all kind of still shell-shocked, right? <laughs> Had any of you seen that video before tonight? Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Okay, so is this? Yeah, it's okay, on it's for on. the okay. live streamers, but it's not on for. for okay. Um, so I would assume that the people who want us to do this are expecting us to, not us who will be raptured, but the population to volunteer for this or consent? Or is it going to be like a they're physically going to come and get people and like force this brain chip on Yeah, you? so I don't think they're going to need to do to force it. I think you know, people are so easily deceived that most people will eagerly line up for it. I mean, okay. you know, think about how many people eagerly lined up to take the experimental bioinjection, you know, when it was a uh, you know, a death rate of now they come out and tell us and admit of point something per percent, right? Uh, fear. So um, I think they'll get the low-hanging fruit. They don't need everybody to do it. They just need most people to do it, and then they've got us right where they want us. Yeah. 
Have you heard about the AI program that the Dallas Independent School District is rolling out as a test for their students? No, but I'd love to hear, but I've heard about a lot of different applications. It's, and they're basically saying that, the, that this AI is taking a baseline of their, their gait, their stance, where they go under certain conditions, and then when they deviate, they're, it's called pre-crime, and when they deviate, they're, I'm assuming they're going to say that, you know, that some kind of violence is expected out of this person. But after watching that video, I'm wondering if there's going to come a time when they're going to require something like the chip for kids in school. Oh, no question. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen the, the groundwork laid for that with earlier versions of technology, with ch kids being chipped or having to wear school uniforms that are chipped and they would track everywhere you go, they'd know if you left the property, a total invasion of privacy. Um, but yeah, what you're talking about is, is uh, biometric surveillance. So they're, they're using uh, everything about you, the, the look in your eyes, your retinas, your walk, yeah. and they can, they can you know, use that and you'll just walk right through the sensors and you no longer will you have to show an ID or give a fingerprint it'll recognize you based on a, a wide array of biometric standards. Well, and the thing about school-aged kids, it says if your baseline changes, they're growing. Right. They're yeah. changing. It's yeah. going to change. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with, uh, with all of this, this idea that somehow they can accurately uh, identify what's in the mind. I mean, they can do amazing things, no question about it. And that's why I think the... Lord's return is closer than ever before because I think they have just they are just knocking on the door of the point of no return. It's like, it's like at some point, you know, you're not going to even be able to distinguish humanity anymore. So, I mean, God, I just can't see God allowing his world to be to become a world where humanity is obsolete, right? I just can't see that happening. Um, but, you know, it, it's uh, this this whole idea of uh of, of tracking people, of, um, you know, just uh, being able to control. That's what Satan wants to do. Psalm 2 says he, he's, he's trying to free himself from God's control, break the, the cords and the binds, and instead exert uh, uh, control himself. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy world. I mean, they, they, uh, they want to control they want to control everything but they can't do it accurately that's the bottom line they can't uh, completely um, you know do it with with 100% accuracy so uh, when people uh, you know the whole pre-crime notion when they say well we we knew what we, we what you thought you were going to do I mean the, the thing is human beings do have a certain psyche a certain degree of unpredictability um, I used to play competitive uh, duplicate bridge, and if you've ever played uh, tournament bridge, you know that bridge is not about tricking your opponents with some secret language. You you required before you play any hand is to lay down your what's called your bidding card, and you tell the opponents, "Hey, this is how we communicate. If I bid this, it means this. If I bid this, it means that." And, you know, so basically it's just about how well you communicate with your partner and how well you keep to your language script, so to speak. But those cards, every one of them had a little box that you could check, and everyone always checked it, called psychics was what it was labeled. And what that means is 
if you check that, it gives you the right to, for no reason at all, deviate from your language. And you always wanted to check it because sometimes, you know, you just get frustrated, you're playing, you haven't had cards, and just on a whim, even though the odds and the statistics and knowing what everyone else has bid, you kind of know where the cards are, sometimes you just have a hunch. And so you change, you know, your bid against your convention. Those are called bidding conventions. And if you hadn't checked that, then your opponents could call you on it. And they could say, ah, oh, when you bid this, it was supposed to mean that. You lied. And then you'd, you'd point to your card and say, nope, see, sometimes I just do things that are unpredictable. And that's kind of what the human psyche is all about. So, uh, so Luciferians, though they might try, they don't have the mind of God, and they're not going to be able to know everything. But they're going to give it their best shot. Yeah, over here. <clears throat> and then we'll come back to you. I'll go quickly. So on that note, um, I, I was looking at a couple verses. I was just thinking about um, what I'm looking for is what have you, what would you say are the fingerprints of God in this right now? Before we're raptured, we're talking about all the things to look out for. But, you know, like 2 Corinthians 10.5, we, about taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Or um, Romans 8.28, um, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We're called according to his purpose. What are, what are the things that we can do against this? You know, along the whole, the whole lines of what you were talking about tonight, of um, keeping control of our own minds. How do we, how do we play bridge with, yeah. with the Luciferians? Well, so, um, wow, that's an interesting word picture. <laughs> I've played bridge with a few devils before, but uh, no. Um, I mean, where do I see God in all of this? Let's let's answer that one first, because we need to we need to view with spiritual eyes, like we talked about at the outset tonight. Um, first of all, the whole point of studying Bible prophecy is to be reminded that God is sovereignly in control of the plan of the ages, and that things are working out and falling into place precisely as His Word tells us they will. We know from Scripture, Old and New Testament alike, that Satan, the false pro the Antichrist, the false prophet. And all of his cronies are going to usher in a one-world system, politically, religiously, and economically. Uh, so in that sense, it's simply validating the trustworthiness of God, that he's a God who keeps his word. And so studying prophecy reminds us that we have a trustworthy uh, God. Um, so I, there's, there's nothing good about what's happening, but uh, God can take evil and use it for good. And he, you know, he can take uh, broken things and make them beautiful. And so it doesn't contravene his plan. He's still working out his plan uh, uh, precisely as he wants to. Now, as far as how do we, if the Lord tarries is coming and until he comes, how do, we, how do we interact with it? I think that's where you get into a lot of the practical stuff that we've, we've been talking about for years, about avoiding the, the digital ID. I mean, that's just basically you've waved the white flag of surrender when you do that. You've said, I give up. You can have it. You can have everything. I mean, I get that they already have it. I mean, they have a lot. But if, if you don't give in to that, then at least at some point, if you have to, you can go off the grid. You can head for the hills, as Jesus talked about people doing during the tribulation period. You can run and, and escape uh, the satellites and the drones and all of that. I mean, I mean, there's ways to do it. If you're in heavy tree cover, those satellites aren't going to find you. Now, I know they have heat sensing 
technology, but that's got to be within a certain proximity, I, I think. I don't know. Alan, do they have satellites from outer space that can tell where there's a body temperature? Well, don't tell me that. <laughs> but they have to train those satellites on that region, right? I don't know that the technology exists where an alarm's going to go off and you simply type in, where's J.B. Hickson? And it goes, bloop, you know, in the Rocky Mountains at such and such coordinate. I don't know that they're that far. But my point is, you know, there are ways that you can flee. And we're not going to get to the point, I don't believe, where the, the powers that be are going to use all of their resources to hunt and track down every human being, right? They're going to get the low-hanging fruit. They're, they're not too concerned with the family that's just minding its own business, living on a compound out in some rural place. So, you know, I think we have to be, we have to outsmart them. You know, we have to not poke the bear, not flaunt it, not, you know, you know, make a big deal of it, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then and at some point, if, if it gets to the point where our back's against the wall, as have many believers throughout the church age, at that point we just say, Jesus is my Lord, and I'm going to go see, see the Lord. If they chop our head off or put a gun to our head at, at that point. But we ought to fight as long as we can and, do, and resist as long as we can, you know, because we have value, human life has value, and God wants us to do that. He doesn't want us to give up. Um, you know, I, you know, I think, uh, I mean, that, does that help a little bit? I mean, I, you, it's a pretty, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a pretty profound question, really. You know, where are the fingerprints of God in all this? I mean, um, it, it, can, it's, it can be easy to become so depressed by how rapidly they are advancing that we forget, you know, God wins in the end, yes. you know? Um, and that's what I talked about in my article yesterday. You should read it. It's going to go out Thursday to the Plum Creek Chapel distribution list, but it's already posted at Not By Works under devotionals and on the highlight carousel, but I called it AI weapons are uh, no match for God, I think I called it. And I, I talk in there about how, you know, ultimately all of this powerful technology that they create is going to be destroyed in the power of his coming. L listen to what it says. I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. With the breath of his coming, uh, it's hard for me to talk and look at the same time. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, um, talking about the Antichrist whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I mean, just think about that. Everybody's going to be gathered around the hills of Megiddo. Satan's got his army, his unseen evil agents, and his, you know, earthly conspirators. And Christ is going to come back, and boom, with a word, it's over. It's over. So, you know, all the technology in the world is no match, uh, you know, for... Uh, for Satan. And, and Isaiah 54, 17, uh, in the context of the children of Israel in the millennial kingdom, the millennial form of the kingdom someday, says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. See, nobody's going to be able to defeat God and his people when Christ takes the throne. So we just need to remember these AI weapons, as powerful as they are, are not going to win the day. They may win a battle along the way, but they're not going to win the war. And so I think you had a question or a comment over here.
So I know you don't know the definitive answer to this, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how far you think, I mean, just what you think, your thoughts on everything that is going on, how far in your thoughts do you think the Lord will allow this to go on before he raptures his church and to maybe possibly dovetail that off his question from last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't let me forget. I wanted to mention that. So actually, um, actually, major announcement. We do know, I just had it revealed to me secretly in a cloud formation when the rapture is going to happen. But my assistant, Brooke, is at, at home in the process of monetizing that on our website. So you'll go there, you click a button, and we will tell you the date. Uh, it's only going to be $99.99, so it's well worth it. If you really want to know, uh, just click, go to our website, click the button. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering what, you know, how far you think he'll let things go. Yeah, no, I, I, things can get no, I don't mean to, to be facetious. I mean, honestly, I've said many times, I think... They've conquered every frontier. I think it can't go much longer. As I said earlier, I just don't think God's going to allow it to get to the point where humanity is indistinguishable from, you know, AI. I talked, uh, I don't remember what podcast it was on. It might have been yesterday, but about uh, embodiment. Uh, and that's the new key word you're going to start to hear a lot, which is taking large language model AI like ChatGPT and putting it inside a robot. Right now, robots have to be pre-programmed to do things, and they're pretty powerful. There's a lot of stuff just in the last few years that's come out that's just amazing to watch these robots operate. But when you put ChatGPT inside of it, give ChatGPT a body, and, and they're already you know testing this, and it's, this is like cutting-edge stuff. This is like in the next month this, you're going to see this roll out, where you can just tell a, a, a robot that, by the way, has skin and clothing that looks just like a human, to, hey, we've got uh, family coming over for dinner. Could you get the house ready? You've not trained it. You've not programmed it. You've not done anything. But from all of the data that's inside it, it's able to figure out what to do. And it starts picking up trash, putting the pillows on the couch, vacuuming the living room, cleaning the counters, putting the dishes in the dishwasher. How does it know that? You know? Yeah, you're saying, sign me up, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, I really believe that it just can't be much longer. I mean, I don't, I was talking to someone yesterday who I highly respect, who's a godly man, uh, traditional dispensational theologian. And he says, uh, you know, I don't, I, I will be surprised if we make it to 2024, yes. you know. So, uh, but again, <laughs> we just don't know. And we have to. Like prepare, moment, you, know? you know. Yeah, I mean, and, and by the way, when you hear me say, if the Lord tarries is coming, that's just a phrase that has been used forever. We're not suggesting that you, the Lord is hasn't decided yet when he's going to come back, and at some point he might say, oh, I think I'll wait a little longer. He knows. What we, what we really mean, and it's probably better to say it in the passive voice, if the coming of the Lord is tarried from our perspective. But, I, you know, we always just say if the Lord tarries is coming, but I don't mean to say that the Lord's up there reacting to us. He's got the time in mind. And when we when that time comes, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could tell you, but I can, and it's not biblical. 
or exegetical or it's simply my gut feeling is I don't think it's going to be very long. You know, you know. Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So that question. Yeah. So the thought was, you know, so much of our understanding of Scripture is, is fashioned somewhat by the context in which we live. And I wrote an article a few weeks ago called, uh, I don't remember the title of it now, but it was about Daniel. Oh, the fog is lifting. It was called the fog is lifting, in which I talked about how Daniel 12, you know, Daniel says, look, some of these things are, uh, he can't even understand, but he's going to look for a day in the future when the future generations will be able to understand it. And so, you know, we can go back 50 years or 100 years and people could not have conceived of things like how will the whole world be able to look upon the fallen antichrist when he receives the mortal wound or, or, or you know that kind of thing well then satellite tv cable tv internet all come and people are like oh yeah i can kind of see that you know but so uh, you know when it comes to the rapture forever people have taught in the church age that the rapture of the church is going to create massive chaos and mayhem on the earth because all these millions of people suddenly disappeared and the world's going to go bonkers. Well, I just got to thinking, does the Bible say that? And by the way, I've taught that many times. My, one of my most popular videos of all time, one minute after the rapture, that's the first thing on my 10 things that will happen after the rapture is massive chaos ensues. And, and it may, but does the Bible say that? No. So what if... Um, by the time the rapture happens, if the Lord, again, tarries is coming, uh, you know, AI has become so prevalent that we even get to the point of teleportation, right? And, and people are used to people disappearing. Plus, everybody has avatars like we just saw on the uh, Vision Pro demonstration. And so people are used to just visions of people dissolving into the air. And... So it might not be that big of a deal. It might be met with a collective yawn. That's number one. Number two, how many people will actually disappear at the rapture? That's an open question, right? We don't know. It seems like the longer the Lord waits, the more, the, you know, the smaller the remnant becomes, right? So maybe it's, you know, a situation where the rapture happens and you might not know anybody that disappeared. And you might be hearing it secondhand, but then, you know, you get into the deception of the Antichrist and the government uh, where they're, the news items and the news reports are saying, well, there's this, you know, fake news out there about so a small number of people disappearing from different points around the globe. But don't believe it. It's a lie. It never really happened. And if you didn't know someone firsthand, you might think, yeah, it's fake news. I don't believe it. So I just, I don't know. I think there are any a number of scenarios based on... Uh, all of these factors that could end up uh, leading to a situation where, you know, the world largely uh, goes on, you know, fairly normal. Um, and, and we see that, by the way, in Second uh, Peter. No, let's see. Let me find it here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I think it is. Well, I can't find, can't put my finger on it right at the moment. 
If I was at home at my computer, it's just a few keystrokes and boom, it pops right up. But I'm so out of practice flipping pages that I, it takes me a while. And then I get nervous because you're all looking at me. You think I don't know where Second Thessalonians is, and it just becomes embarrassing. But anyway, um, you know, uh, yeah, I just, does that make sense? You know, we talked about that last week. But I, I just think we don't know what the world's going to be like after the rapture. You know, we know we'll meet him in the air prior to the unveiling of the Antichrist, prior to the start of Daniel's 70th week. And as my friend Dr. Andy Woods said at the Tulsa conference, if you don't believe in the pre-trib rapture, that's fine. I'll just explain it to you on the way up, you know. So, uh, but uh, any other questions before we wrap up for tonight? Yes. I think you've addressed this before, but how many Christians do you think there are that'll be raptured? Yeah, that's a good question. Just um, an estimate. I mean, obviously, it's just my own speculation, uh, kind of dead reckoning. Um, you know, the gospel is simple. It's so simple a child can understand it. Uh, it's not hard to become a Christian, but the pride of men and women is so powerful that it's hard for us, for some people to believe they can get something as valuable as eternal life for nothing. And so they, they resist the freeness of salvation. Um, so that's the real sort of, uh, you know, uh, oxymoron here is that it's so simple that you'd think everybody would. Why would not someone receive the free gift of eternal life? Why would you reject that? But that's the power of deception and 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan's blinding men's hearts to the gospel and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I think it's uh, less than 10%, probably, easily. Anybody else want to hazard a guess? Of the whole population. Of the, uh, of the world. Yeah. Now, I wasn't talking about this room. Just of the world at large, to clarify. I think it's much higher than 10% in the room. I mean, it's got to be at least 40, 50, I'm thinking. So. Uh, Brother Fred, I'm going to ask you to close us in prayer. But before you do, you know, you've been a believer for many years. Um, did you ever think you'd see the kind of stuff that we see happening in your lifetime? Never. 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 Grew up in the 50s. Yeah. It was all very nice. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Well, close us in prayer, if you will. Father God, thank you for uh, teaching us your word and giving us confidence in, in your, your power and your control of destiny. Um, so we thank you for our great salvation. We ask you to guide everybody and help everybody tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You're such a huge help. I really appreciate it. <laughs>